Welcome to Safety Wars. For Monday, October 10th, 2022. I hope you're enjoying your th- last few hours of your three-day weekend. If you are in the United States, today is Columbus Day slash Indigenous Peoples Day. Last few years, it's been a little bit of controversy over here, but uh, we don't shy away from controversy. What are we talking about today? We're talking about our regular news. We're going to forego the financial stuff since the markets were closed in the United States today. Uh, But right now, just to let you know, the early markets in Asia indicate that gold and silver are up. And of course, we do not give financial advice here. We just state what's going on. With statement analysis after the news, you're going to say, well, what is statement analysis? It's a method and a technique for detecting deception in people. And you're going to say, well, why is that important for a safety professional to detect deception? It's important for all of us to detect deception. We're going to use an example from last night's New York Mets game. Versus the San Diego Padres, where my beloved Mets got destroyed. And some of the things that were said over there. And as another miracle, Mrs. Polzel was listening to an interview. And she said, hey, he said, honestly. At the end of his thing. Well, and I said, you know what? You're, that's right. That is an indicator of deception often. I'm saying the man's deceptive. I'm just saying what it is. North Korea's recent missile tests involved tactical nuclear drills to simulate hitting the South, that is South Korea, and were overseen personally by Kim Jong-un in response to all the other crap that's going on around Korea and the rest of the world. Kim has made... Acquiring tactical nukes, that is small, lighter, and lighter weapons designed for battlefield use, that's 10 kiloton or lower. Usually, that's what that means. However, uh, let's remember, the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs were 17 17 kilotons and 21 kilotons. So this would be much lower. For whatever reason, we're discussing this, and you should see the stuff coming over my news feed. Now, today, uh, it was... uh, no, a picture of a green uh, United States green beret jumping out of a plane with a 50-pound uh, nuclear warhead. So, allegedly. I don't know. Rare wolves headed to South Carolina from Ohio as fight to prevent extinction ramps up. Sometime in the spring, visitors to a South Carolina nature preserve may get a glimpse of one of the world's rarest animals. And that is... The red red wolf. There's roughly about three hundred of them, uh, three hundred of them in existence, and they're being bred in captivity and released into the wild. I don't know. Uh, I have an interview with Don Becker coming up uh, that I did over the weekend on some really important insurance stuff. I wonder how she feels about this. this is in her neighborhood. The plan is to breed red wolves in captivity for display at zoos for a release in eastern North Carolina, possibly low country of South Carolina. Residents 
of a small community in Vermont were blindsided last month by news that one official in their water department quietly lowered fluoride levels nearly four years ago, giving rise to worry about their children's dental health and transparent government, and highlighting the enduring misinformation around water fluoridation. Well, I don't know. We had a whole uh, TV series on water fluoridation. Uh, what was it? Uh, I was with... Oh, it escapes my mind. Oh, Firefly. That's what it was. So, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation or information and all different things. What's your opinion on that? I don't know. Drop us a line, Jim at safetywords.com. So, this happened, uh, what, something uh, happened this week where her dentist found cavities in her kid's teeth. And she acknowledged they eat a lot of sugar, but noticed that her dentist recommended against fluoride because of the town's water. Because it should be uh, during all those fluoride, horrible fluoride treatments, I remember. But anyway, uh, it's been very controversial since the 1950s. Emergency scenarios are being prepared in Sweden in the case of power cuts. So with all the other stuff going on, with the war in the Ukraine, which is in Ukraine, which has been escalating the last couple of days, now we have another situation where now the go- governments are acknowledging, "Holy Gwufno, we might have a power outage, power shortage, energy shortage." Some of the other countries, like Germany, Northern Italy, right, or Italy, or northern parts of Northern Italy, Italy Switzerland, they're all freaking out because they're worried about not having enough uh, energy or heating their homes. I came across a new psychological term that I've heard of over the weekend, and it's called temporal disintegration. So that that's sort of like, did you ever hear the expression, I don't know what day it is, what day is it? And I find myself as I get older, what day is it? All the days seem to be running together, and if you're on a six or seven day a week schedule, like most people in the safety industry, you start to lose track of a day or an hour. Or I had a business partner that took lost track of years. And this has been exacerbated by the uh, uh, pandemic. And, no, and, an, and this is all documented in August paper for the Journal of Psychological Trauma uh, by a Dr. Holman and co-authors. And they asked a series of questions of 5,000 500 plus people as to what extent they've been focused on the present moment, right? 76% they had felt that way sometimes, felt unsure about what time or day it was, 46%, and found for your, and found themselves forgetting what just happened or feeling unclear about the order of events that they just experienced. U.S. Department of Labor, OSHA, ordered an oil company, I'm not going to mention the name, to immediately reinstate two employees and pay them more than 800000 back wages, interest, and compensatory damages. A federal whistleblower investigation found that the company terminated them illegally after suspecting them of leaking information to the Wall Street Journal. In September 2020, the Wall Street Journal alleged the global oil and gas company may have inflated production estimates the reported value of oil and gas wells in the Texas Permian Basin. The newspaper reported this company, 
uh, assumed that drilling speed would increase substantially in the next five years, and that uh, assumption may have been inaccurate. These assumptions are included in company files for the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission 2019. OSHA's investigation found that the oil company fired two computational scientists who raised concerns about the company's use of assumptions in late 2020. The company claimed and terminated one of those the scientists for mishandling proprietary information, the second for having a negative attitude looking for other jobs, and losing confidence of company management. OSHA learned that this company knew that one of the scientists was a relative of a source quoted in the Wall Street Journal and had access to the leaked information. Now, here is the main point of the OSHA story. The investigation determined that the communication with the newspaper related to alleged company violations is protected activity under the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. The act also protects the scientists despite, ex, uh, despite the oil company's belief that they had, I almost screwed up there, belief that they had access and possibly leaked information to the publication. Neither was revealed as a source for the article. The oil company's actions are unacceptable. The integrity of the U.S. financial system relies on companies to report their financial condition and assets accurately said Assistant Secretary for Occupational Safety and Health, Doug Parker. Whistleblower protection is integral to ensuring that financial disclosure laws work. As was the case in this instance, OSHA will aggressively protect the rights of employees who raise concerns related to financial improprieties or potential fraud against shareholders, end quote. And OSHA, so here's something I did not know, right? Until recently, it was covered on another podcast, the OSHA 3030 podcast. Not on uh, Safety FM, but it's actually a really good show. So OSHA, for whatever reason, I don't know how this really evolved, but OSHA is is able to, uh, is manages whistleblower complaints to, and you can look this up on their website, Right, uh, whistleblowers.gov, and there's a big long thing. What does OSHA cover? Occupational Safety and Health Administration, Director, uh, Directorate of Whistleblower Protection Programs. I'm going to read some of the things. Some of the things are obvious that OSHA would probably be involved in, but some of them are not so obvious. Section 11C of the Occupational Safety and Health Act. Okay, we get that. Asbestos Hazard Emergency Response. Okay. International Safe Container Act, they're in charge of um, whistleblower with that. Surface Transportation Assistance Act, Safe Drinking Water Act, Federal Water Pollution Control Act, Toxic Substances Control Act, Solid Waste Disposal Act, Clean Air Act, CERCLA, Energy Reorganization Act, that was in 1974, dealing with the nuclear industry, wow. Wendell H. Four Aviation Investment and Reform Act. Sarbanes-Oxley. Another co- uh, company, uh, bank, just got whacked by OSHA with that, too. Millions of dollars, right? And that deals with, uh, f- and this is the one with this story, protects employees of certain companies from retaliation for reporting alleged mail, wire, bank, and sec- securities fraud. 
violations in the SEC rules and regulations or violations of federal laws related to fraud against shareholders. So that, according to OSHA, at least, is deals with stuff. You can mention it to your boss. You say to your boss, hey, I don't think what you're doing right. Well, you're fired. Well, guess what now? Uh, they're covered under whistleblower acts, according to OSHA. Pipeline Security Improvement Act, Railroad Safety Act, National Transit Systems Security Act, Consumer Product Safety Improvement Act, Affordable Care Act. Wow. Siemens Protection Act. That's Seaman as in S-E-A-M-A-N, Protection Act. Consumer Financial Protection Act, FDA, Food Safety Modernization Moving Ahead for Progress in the 21st Century Act and Taxpayer First Act, Criminal Antitrust Anti-Retaliation Act, Anti-Money uh, Laundering Act. So those are all of the uh, things that OSHA actually gets involved with, with whistleblowers. Who knew? I didn't know that. So if I were a uh, OSHA 10-hour outreach trainer, I would probably go and include those handouts in the hour number one because right there, if you want it, if you're having problems covering stuff for hour one of the uh, OSHA outreach programs, well, guess what? You could cover that. That probably take up thirty five minutes right there. You'd probably be in violation of everything, but uh, no, you could talk about that for thirty five minutes. Who knew? I didn't know. And we're going to take a break right now. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. to safety wars tomorrow safety today okay so uh i i'm gonna be using a lot of different sources some liberal some conservative some neutral and i'm not going to give you my opinion on a lot of this stuff but i think most people who know me know my opinion on this stuff this is an article from spectator.org and I'm going to briefly comment on this. The, pen, the title of the, it's an article by First the Pandemic, Then the Purge by Deborah J. Saunders. And I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but this is the whole gist of the article. Zach Loesch, a Coast Guard aviation survival technician, a real hero about to lose his job because he won't betray his deeply held beliefs. 
essentially, this is a Coast Guardsman. Uh, I don't know what the appropriate term is. Uh, who is being uh, drummed out of the service because he refuses to get a COVID-19 vaccination in violation of the September 2021 executive order issued by Biden. And let's remember that Biden had said that the pandemic is over two weekends ago. I don't know. Uh, We're getting a lot of, and now this isn't mentioned in the article, but there's been a lot of, talk uh, in peer-reviewed journals over the last month or so on ha- on the efficacy of the uh, vaccinations. So I don't know. I think the government needs to re-examine this and have a more consistent policy. We had discussed this several times over the last three weeks and before that on the Safety Wars podcast on all of this stuff with uh, uh, the efficacy of the vaccinations and clear communications. So I think this would probably be a very good time for the CDC and others to talk about clear, clearly. They'll get on the same page here, guys. Well, that's what I, all I'm going to say on this. In Pennsylvania this year, and this is, I can see this in the future becoming, especially depending on the way the elections run, a major issue. So we all know that OSHA, right, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, does not regulate a lot of workplaces. One of them being farm labor if it's in your same family. If you don't have employees, right, and family members are usually, I'm not going to say make a blanket statement, say all, all, as I'm trying to teach my son and my daughter, all is one of the most dangerous words in the human language. You don't ever want to say all. But OSHA does not cover all workplaces, right? So just so if you're a farm, uh, a family that owns a farm, nobody there is considered an employee. Therefore, OSHA does not have jurisdiction. Same thing if you're self-employed or if you are uh, a government employee. OSHA has no jurisdiction. They may have some say and say, well, don't do that. And there, I've seen some stuff. Well, hey, had this been covered by OSHA, it would be like $100,000 in fines, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of this is delegated to other government agencies, the Army Corps of Engineers, on Army Corps of Engineers projects, EM385-1-1 is their safety standard, as well as uh, up here in the Northeast, we have New York PESH, we have uh, P-OSHA, which is New Jersey, and various state agencies that cover public health. Uh, public uh, employees, uh, unfortunately, everyone knows my opinion with the Uvalde massacre uh, earlier in this year. Uh, essentially, if schools were covered under OSHA, I think that there would be a much better chance of us protecting the schools and therefore protecting the students as an externality to protecting the teachers and the other workforce. But, uh, oh, well, that's neither here nor there. Now, this is a story out of from last month, and this is a very sad story. We have Amish man and sons killed after being trapped in a silo on a Center County farm. This is out of Center County, uh, California, uh, I'm sorry, Center County, uh, Pennsylvania, where 
uh, three family members died in a farming accident, and they were trapped inside of a silo, uh, presumably filled, filled with silage. And this was six months after a 16-year-old boy was killed while, uh, while operating a manure spreader at the farm, and everyone's death was ruled accidental, and therefore, uh, you know, uh, uh, nobody's responsible, right? The family members reportedly died from asphyxiation due to gases in the silo. Their deaths have been ruled accidental. Uh, neighbors say it was a ripple effect with one going in to help the next. So let's remember, 60% of confined space entry fatalities are reportedly from people would-be rescuers. There really is no excuse for this at this point. I'm sorry. None. All right. Uh, permit required, uh, permit required confined space hazards have been known since at least the 1950s. How do I know? Uh, my mother told me a story. My father told me a story of someone that they knew in the 1950s that was in Bayonne, New Jersey, reportedly. I'm not, I don't have all the details and they entered into a sewer and they got killed in the sewer from the gas, sewer gas. It's the 1950s. Uh, there have been a number of injuries for this all the time. This goes on. Whether it's a confined space entry, excavation, uh, excavations, trenching the excavation, all this stuff goes on all the time. I really don't get it. <laughs> you know, I don't get it. Were they covered by OSHA? No, but I'm going to tell you, we have an interview coming up from the head of the Libertarian Party for New Jersey, Dan Krause. Yes, Dan, I am going over this, and I was waiting for the right time to release the interview. Now's as good a time as any with the way things are going on. And we always scream and yell, well, we need OSHA, we need this, we need that. But the truth of the matter is, is that we all run our lives like Libertarians. Yeah, we do. Because the libertarian view of workplace safety is everybody working together in a workplace together to make the workplace safer. And that's basically it. And we do that. Now, if that's how you want to run a No, there's a debate, and we understand an honest debate between right, right, what role does government play with that. But we all basically run our lives as libertarians. We want to be left at last. Right, Howard Beale, what most famously said, all we want to know is one uh, is to be left alone and know that we have good steel belted radials. And you can go and uh, find, you know, look who Howard Beale is. I'll give you a hint. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. Statement analysis. We're going to go into that in a minute. We're going to come back with that. Safety Wars is streaming now. Safety Mr. Safety Trainer is still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety. How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. And now, on to our main story here. Statement analysis for the safety manager. 
What is statement analysis? It's real simple. Statement analysis, and I came across this on a radio show many years ago. There was an interview by a man named Mark McClish, and then later on, Peter Hyatt, a couple years later. Mark McClish came out with a book, I Know You Are Lying, and Peter Hyatt, Wise as a Certain, Gentle as a Dove, Dealing with Deception. These men are both lifelong investigators. Mark McClish specifically taught these techniques at the National Law Enforcement Academy, and it's what many police, I think most police, and federal agencies use, including OSHA. Peter Hyatt does private consulting, similar to what we do here on Safety FM and all the individuals here. And let me preface this as saying, this is a little bit controversial, Uh, You don't want to always use these techniques because they could be adversarial. At the end of this, you may not ever want to talk to an investigator ever again. And this is also, to the way I use it, is to make yourself a little bit more believable. Let me say one other thing. If you don't want to be lied to, then don't go into this business, safety business. You're going to be lied to all over the place. So what is... Statement analysis. What you're doing is analyzing the words, syntax, body language, and handwriting to determine whether we're being told the truth, the whole story, a deceptive story, and it lays out a system of analyzing this stuff. And the assumption that all of this is uh, everything with uh, statement analysis is that everybody wants to tell the truth. It's you now. It's like this. I had problems for years when I would talk to people and speak to people because I like to talk in case you haven't noticed why I'm on the radio. But anyway, I had this problem where people don't believe you. You can be telling the truth 100% of the time and they don't believe you because of what you say and how you say it and... The same thing applies to them. They may no, When we're talking deception, there may be deception. We're not talking that there, people are lying, right? Even though the, uh, you know, the name of the book, I Know You're Lying by Michael Klish. He has several others. And this, these are two of the most popular and most well-known purveyors of this way of thinking and this line of questioning. But there are others. Are others. What am I saying this Monday night? Avenon Sapir is another one. And basically, you're, you're able to determine uh, uh, determine whether something's deceptive or not. So my wife, who, listen, who listens to this, right? We were watching that hellish game last night with the New York Vets and the San Diego Padres. And Joe Musgrove was checked for... Uh, substance on his ears or something like that. And uh, Buck Showalter from the Mets manager came out and said, hey, check that guy, blah, blah, blah. And it's part of this is to break his rhythm in the pitching. Right, That's part of the strategy is when you pull this stuff. But here it said, here, but look at what he said. And it's, uh, I'm having a problem finding the interview, but I recorded it. 
So in response to the interviewer, he was checking me. He said there was nothing on me, honestly, and then he was cut off by the interviewer with the next question. Guess what? Honestly could de- is a qualifier that might indicate deception. All right, and we'll get into some of that here in a minute. Why is it relevant? When do we use statement analysis? When do I use it? Pretty much all the time. Uh, basically, be careful what you say. We're trying to identify red flags, especially in an accident investigation or incident investigation. And we, we say, well, you're using against the workers. I'm not using against the workers. I, you know, We had to do our due diligence, and we had to make a judgment. Who's telling the truth on this? Or who's believable? Who's not believable? And it could also be the uh, uh, people not involved in the accident, management, mid-level management foreman that are using this stuff. So maybe it's not the worker himself or herself that is being deceptive, but maybe someone in the chain of command. And the other thing is when you're presenting, are you believable or not? Presumably, you want to be believable because if you're believable, you're going to get more money. You're going to be more liable or you're going to get fired. And probably, guess what? If you don't want to work with people that are uh, that are pissed off that you're honest, right? Uh, you don't want to really, that's a hellish thing. So what's the main thing? Stop talking and start listening, right? So what applies to verbal communication applies also to written so, number one, listen to the language. What are they saying? How do they speak? This is where you try to go in the beginning of the investigation. Hey, hey, Frank, how you doing? I'm Jimmy Pozel, blah, blah, blah. Oh, uh, hey, you see that Mets game last night? Oh, yeah, oh, man, they got their asses kicked. Okay, great. See that Giants game? Oh, yeah, they did phenomenal over in London. And you start talking to the guy, a little bit of small talk. So you pull the person. Okay, see what their mannerisms are. See whatever they're trying to do. Number two, you want to be, and then you can compare it to the actual answers and their mannerisms later on. Beware of lengthy responses because lengthy responses are deception. Do they answer the questions? Words mean things. That's uh, from a famous radio talk show host used to say that words mean things. Examine the pronouns, right? What do we mean? I, me, mine, myself, she, her, hers, herself, we, us, ours, and ourselves, for example. What are the order of events? Do the order of events make sense? And words and phrases that might indicate deception. So when you're doing an investigation, what do you want to do? You want to have open-ended questions as much as possible. If you ask a yes or no question, because sometimes you have to ask a yes or no question, do they add more when a simple yes or no would suffice? Yeah, no, but blah, 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 blah. Yes, but blah, 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 blah. All that goes on. What are they not telling you? Often the deception is not what they tell you, but what they're not telling you. So what do you do? Don't, you know, this is guilty of me. Do not speak over people. Let them answer. Be aware of warning phrases. I'm warning phrases, to be honest, like Joe Musgrove last night, right? Now, do I think that he was lying? I don't think he was lying. I don't think he was telling the truth. But when you put honestly in there, now he's undermining himself. 
after that interview. When answering questions, use the shortest answer possible. What details are they telling or not telling you? If this all sounds familiar, this is what an attorney will tell you before you do a deposition. We'll tell you exactly this. We're talking to a government agency. Reliable denial. What's a reliable denial? I got into this last week. We ran into this on the job where we were doing an accident investigation and we did not get a reliable denial. What is a reliable denial? I did or did not do something. That, so if you did not do something, you say, I did not do something, or you did something, I did do something, right? And that's reliable. Anything after that, right? I, anything after that indicates some type of deception may not be reliable. And that's how it's going to be viewed by a lot of investigators. So if someone asks you, did you wear your hard hat? Yeah, I wore the hard hat. I did wear the hard hat. Yes. Real short. What Now let's look at what denial means. Deny, to state that one, well, this is one definition, the refuses to admit the truth or existence of. That is a dictionary definition. So deny does not mean no. What's no? Not any, not at all, to no extent. So if you deny, it's less than a no, is essentially, and that's how investigators are often going to take that, right? Did they answer the question? What are, no, what's the question? For example, did you use those gloves? That would be a, a safety, for the, especially with a hand injury. Did you use those gloves? Well, do they say, yes, I used those gloves, or no, I didn't use those gloves, or how about this one? Why would I use those gloves? I would never use those gloves. Of course I'm using those gloves. Blah, blah, blah. That might indicate deception. You may want to investigate that a little bit more. Answering a question with a question. Was your backup alarm working? Was my backup alarm working? Why wouldn't it be? Of course it was working. It always works. Repeating a question and the answer is a common stalling tactic. So you have to put your... No, put up those little... Uh, antenna of yours. Were you wearing fall protection? I always wear fall protection. Always means at all times and all occasions. Well, what you want to know is, was it done this time? Right? Are they assuming it was done this time because it was done all the other times? Well, he always wears. Okay, great. He always wears. That's admirable. Well, then was he wearing it this time? Because that would indicate that you may not be in the S, no, with the SKR and performance modes and everything else, SKR performance modes under by Jens Rasmussen, that might indicate that you're, what performance mode were they in? Was this just an error where one time they forgot to put on something or all the time? Was it one time that they forgot a procedure or all the time? Was this a normal occurrence that this is the way it work was always done, right? And it wasn't done this time. That's got to be in there. Words mean things. So everybody has an internal dictionary. And you need to pay attention. 
What are we calling things? Does an excavator, for example, ever become a machine in this story? Does a car become an automobile? Hmm, that may, may, that may happen. Do we change what we're calling something? In other words, does my car become the car? You need to examine the pronouns because pronouns indicate some type of possession. We, us, they, or the, or ours indicate more than one person is involved or familiar with something, right? We. Are they using these rather than I? So you'll be interviewing somebody. Well, you know, and there's a, and all along you may hear, ah, only one person was involved, no one saw Jack Wuvno, right? No one, uh, blah, 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 blah. Okay, and then they you start going through the story. Oh, yeah, we were walking towards this. Uh, we were doing something. We were, oh, hold on, hold on. Unless you're dealing with Bob Dole, right? Who will always talk about himself in the third person. Was there more than one person involved? Hold on. I thought you said I. No, no, no. You said we. This, uh, and what happens? And this actually happened. Uh, okay, my cousin. I was actually teaching this. Uh, for one of my customers, and he noticed uh, my vehicle outside the uh, office, and he said, "Hey, I, hey, my cousin Jimmy's in there." And uh, it was uh, everybody knew uh, knew each other. It's a small town. Everybody knows each other. Well, it's run as a small small town, Bayonne, New Jersey. And he happened to come in and say, "Hey, come on in." Blah blah blah. This is my cousin. Blah blah blah. And it was right before Christmas. I say, "Hey, Merry Christmas!" And hey, blah blah blah. And he says, I said, okay, I, you know, I got to get back to work. I'm teaching a class, but you're willing to sit in, you know, for a couple of minutes. He says, oh, yeah, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going shopping with the wife. And I said, hold on. Time out. Ernie, you're staying here. And he said, oh, I said, okay. He said, well, what do you mean? Sit right down there. I pull up the, this slide that I'm reading right now, and I say to him, what did, er, what did he just say? What did he say? I'm going shopping with the wife. Uh, and it was perfect. I said, that indicates distance, so you're not as close, that you don't want to go shopping with your wife. Because if you wanted to go shopping with your wife, it would be, I'm going shopping with my wife. That indicates you want to go shopping. This sound, may sound like a word game, but this is very important. I want no. I I went shopping, or I'm going shopping with my wife, versus I went shopping with the wife. <laughs> not a good issue, not a good thing. And this is where a lot of times investigators, especially mer- missing persons cases or a domestic violence case, will do an investigation. This is how they get the abusers or uh, murderers, in a lot of cases, unfortunately, with statements like this. About a week after I presented this, I received an accident report from one of my employees. And she says to me, Jimmy, look at this accident report. What do you think? And she had, and this is where the advantage of, is when you, uh, of having the person write out their own witness statements and not writing them for them. A lot of companies, they write out witness statements. They have a foreman write out a witness statement. Real bad idea. Have them write out the witness statement. Because she handed me something and was a missing words. Instead of I grabbed the tool, grabbed the tool. Instead of I got the ladder, it was grabbed, got the ladder. 
And this is how this all was written down, where they were, uh, uh, they didn't take responsibility for anything. Nothing was linking them and their language to the accident. And I said, you know, this might indicate some kind of deception here. Maybe we should go and look. And before you know it, uh, two days later, the whole story came out because I kept on, they said, well, Jimmy, where's the report? We didn't issue a report because we think that we're getting deception based on this. And they said, really? It was like, yeah, really. And then two days later, we found out that they were, that everything was a lie that they wrote. What is the order of the story? This is an important thing. A story has a beginning, a middle, and end. And what is the sequence of what you're saying? Are, is the person skipping steps? Are they describing things out of order? Do the times add up? So there is an uh, accident investigator that I work with. He'll ask questions out of sequence to try to get people to screw up in this and indicate that there is a problem, that they are deceiving people. So it could go both ways. Here's some definite red flags. Honest to God, to be honest, honestly, to tell the truth, truthfully, I swear to God, I swear on my mother's grave and the number three. So my friend Joe was doing a accident investigation and he calls me up a couple weeks ago. Hey, uh, Jimmy, uh, what, what's your opinion on this one? And you could call me too at 845-269-5772. We're at Jim at Safety Wars. Hey, Jim, what do you, uh, what do you think about this one? And I said to him, sounds like some deception going on here. He says, yeah, that's, nothing adds up what this guy says. And what was the deception? He fell down three stairs and he broke three ribs. Hold on, double three. We have a bias in Western society for the number three. Right? So if someone says three somewhere in the story, then you better make sure, damn sure it's three. Because we have, let's consider, I'll just name a few. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three blind mice. Three branches of government. Uh, uh, right? Uh, those are just three. But there are many of three musketeers. Three, 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 three always comes up. So if someone says three, better make sure it's three. Because that can indicate deception. Writing things down on an accident form. Whenever I'm filling one out, I always have my own legal pad and a pencil. Because what are they looking for? They're looking for cross-outs. So I'll write the rough draft down on a piece of paper and I'll transcribe it permanently over there if I have to fill out an accident report myself. And they're requiring that. That being done. Uh... Here's some other unnecessary words. Do you know what happened at the accident? Right? That's a good open-ended statement. Are they giving you a yes or a no answer? Or are they giving you a lengthy? lengthy? Well, if you hear, what really happened was this. Really indicates a deception, and it's a qualifier. Qualifiers indicate some type of deception. Other qualifiers. Not a, not a, this is not a whole list. Actually, very, quite, rather, somewhat, more, most, less, least, too, so, just, enough, indeed, still, almost, fairly, really, pretty, even, a bit, a little, a whole lot, a good deal, a great deal, and kind of, sort of. How about phrases that don't make sense? 
right? Immediately after an incident, someone might say, my foot hurts or I am in pain. They say, well, hey, when you drop a weight on your foot, of course it hurts. Sign of deception because they're depersonalizing it. Unless they're talking about this type of situation like way after it happened. What's the story breaking down? Every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. If possible, have the person write down their own statements. So what, how does this break down? The beginning of a story should be about 25%, roughly, on and off, right? Roughly about 25%. The middle of the story, about 50%, and the end of the story, about 25%. Any major deviation may indicate deception. Now, I, well, right, and before our talk, I looked up some other sources outside of Mark McClish and uh, the other guy, right, that, that did this. And that, that uh, right, Mark McClish, and who was the other guy? Hold on, I'll get his name. Mark McClish and Peter Hyatt. And th- this was verified. So you write it down a story, right? Make sure that it's 25, 50, 25, or thereabouts. Any major thing may indicate, and they're going to go deeper. And also, when you're writing it as something, make sure that you're roughly in that ballpark there. And then you have the nonverbal communication. I'm not even going to go into that uh, with this discussion because there's about a million and one uh, books out there on body language. And I don't know what to think about it. I have a lot of uh, jerky movements and things of that nature that I'm normal, right? And if you see my on camera, that may indicate, I could see where that people may say, well, look, he's not telling the truth or he's full of groove now. There was one case I had up in upstate New York where somebody fell through a skylight. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but they fell through a skylight and the investigator came out there from the insurance company and based on what I had said here, and I assume that it had to do partly with uh, my body language and stuff because I'm a very expressive person anyway. He did not pull me and he said, everything that man said is a lie. And that's basically what he told the client because he had asked me a whole bunch of questions well, so this guy fell through a skylight. I got called in on the accident investigation because I had trained all of these guys in fall protection. And the guy says to me, did these people receive fall protection? Yeah, they received fall protection. Can you prove, Jimmy, that they... They weren't calling me Jimmy. Can you prove, Mr. Polzel, that they actually had, you know, safety training? I said, you know what? I got called up here. I don't have my, I even forgot my computer here. No, I walked out without my computer here. And I'm, no, because it was such an emergency. Uh, and that's out in the car. I could get it. I might be able to look it up on there and send it on over to you. Oh, you're better. All right. Uh, uh, did they uh, get the right equipment? What kind of equipment? Yeah, they got all the right equipment. We got all the uh, stuff back at the office. Absolutely. Uh, did they, uh, uh, how long has this guy been on the job? I said, well, this particular guy on the job about two, two and a half weeks, roughly. Uh, and he go, kept on going on and on and on, and we had everything done. And what were we able to do? We were able to get away. Pretty much OSHA came out to do the investigation, found nothing wrong with our program. 
Uh, what they did find was some other stuff that uh, we had really nothing to do with that wasn't even our purview that caused this accident. So this guy, I sit down with the uh, client, and the guy said, you know, this guy lied, said that you lied about everything. I said, yeah, probably. And he said, well, do you actually have documentation to back up everything you said? I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. And here it is. I know it was our, after like a day or two later, I handed them a stack of all the sign-in sheets, the tests. And hell, we even had pictures of people taking training, including the person who fell taking training and everything else. And he said, wow. I said, yeah, we had it. He said, you were telling the truth. I said, yeah, I was telling the truth. Well, why did he say blah, blah, blah? I said, probably because of the way I am. Uh, now, I express myself. I'm very active. I can't sit still. That's me. I said, you've known me for years. He said, yeah, Jimmy, that is you. But you were telling the truth the whole time. I said, you were full of shit. I said, well, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess the next time I see him, I'm going to have to say something about him to him. So here's some summaries items here, right? Witnesses, witnesses should be writing their own statements in their own words. Take good notes and record when doing verbal interviews. So with some major accidents, you may want to video record everything. This is a major pitfall here. If using an interpreter or translator, pay close attention to their words. Hire a professional accident investigator, private investigator, or lawyer for a catastrophic situation. Catastrophic situation, you want to really rely on a regular safety professional. Uh, what I try to do is I work through an attorney and everything goes to, uh, it can't be in my understanding, not an attorney. I'm not an attorney. Is that you want to go with an outside counsel and make all your reports to the outside counsel because then it's covered by attorney-client privilege. Right, so always hire a professional. Uh, one of the worst things that you could ever find out uh, or ever go through is if you have a employee, especially if they're going to be a relatively new health and safety professional, and they give you the one-page uh, OSHA, I think it's a 301 accident investigation report, with, uh, that, and that's all that they give. Now, ha have I used these reports for accident investigators? Certainly. And since that's what the regulation requires, I give, it, I give them the regulation. What's required under OSHA? Let them do their own investigation. This is what we're required to do. This is what we're going to do. Uh, that, that sometimes happens. But we're, what you don't want is for someone to just have that little accident report, the OSHA 301 uh, report. I might be wrong on the number, but I think I'm right. And just have them do an accident report. That, does, that form does not cover all the bases, so to speak. What you want is a professional one done. A one-pager? No, if that's a first aid case, that's one thing. Or a straightforward OSHA recordable laceration, broken bone even. That may be okay. Uh, but anything major, you need to go and go the full run. I had a client of couple years back say well we wanted a one-page accident report i said if you're looking for a one-page accident report i'm not your man uh you're gonna have to get somebody else and they said well what do you mean i said well i'm when i do an accident investigation it's going to be an accident investigation what you do with it is something else you want to shelve it i can't do anything about it but i'm going to do 
a relaxed investigation. I said, I would suggest you do the same thing because at the, at the beginning of the investigation, it was unclear whether the employee was going to return. And they said, oh, really? Yeah, oh, really? And that's something you need to be aware of. And let's sum this up here, right? Realize the words mean things. Follow the 50, 25, 50, I'm sorry, the 25, 50, 25 rule. The beginning, the middle, and the end of a story. Answer any questions that are asked. If you could give yes or no, give yes or no. Stick with the facts of the case, just like that Joe Friday from uh, Dragnet used to say, the facts, just the facts. Use the same tenses for verbs. This is where, we didn't go into this, but this is where they get a lot of missing children uh, when they find out that the parent is the one that did the thing, uh, did the actors involved, because then they say, well, we had a wonderful daughter rather than our daughter is wonderful. Big difference. Use consistent language. If something is called a machine, keep calling it a machine. Don't call it an excavator or something else. And go yes or no. Don't talk too much like I do on this podcast or this program, I should say. That's what I got here. And I just wanted to uh, go into uh, what we're trying to do. We're... So what we're still getting organized. We're still getting finding our groove and a lot of stuff. So every Friday, we're going to do Fall Protection Friday. That's what the plan is. And we're going to start like right Biological Wednesday, where we're going to talk about biological hazards uh, with the pandemic, things of that nature. And we're trying to get, find our groove here with this. And... Uh, I want to thank everybody for staying with us for the last three weeks. Uh, I'll, not every one of these is uploaded to our podcast network, but uh, most of them are. And we're going to close out now. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Good night, everybody, from the Safety FM Network.